Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to POTUS 2020 Battleground America, presented by Deadline Hollywood. I'm Deadline Senior Editor Dominic Patton. I'm Ted Johnson, political editor at Deadline. In the next few weeks on this podcast, we're going to talk to newsmakers in Hollywood and beyond about this unprecedented presidential election. What is at stake and what did it all mean? Later in this half hour, we'll chat with Congressman Adam Schiff about the debate last night and about the prospects of another COVID-19 relief bill. First, last night, saw the reaction, the immediate reaction, Dana Bash of CNN, her first comment, she called it a shit show. Shit show! <laughs> that was a shit show. <laughs> and we weren't that far off. In our review, we, we quoted former President George W. Bush's remarks at Donald Trump's inauguration when he said, well, that was some weird shit. It was incredible. It was horrible, it was a disgrace, and it was an insight that none of us should have been surprised by, because honestly, when it comes to playing full Tasmanian devil, that's just classic Donald Trump. Now, we're about 12 hours from this, and I woke up this morning with kind of a flashback. A couple of years ago, Alex Jones was in Washington, and he showed up at a congressional hearing, and he got all this media attention. And then uh, he kept on talking and he kept on talking and slowly the media started drifting away until it was just Alex Jones on a street corner ranting and raving to no one in particular. And I kind of felt that's what we saw at the debate last night. Now, Chris Wallace couldn't control Donald Trump. And for a moment, I thought he wasn't even going to be able to end it. Trump exactly. Was talking. Uh, I mean, that was kind of the atmosphere that I thought. Uh, Dominic, why, why do you think, you know, we knew that Trump was kind of going to be lit last night, but why do you think people are still so shocked by what happened? Well, you know, Ted, honestly, I don't really know why. I mean, I know that it is, for all that we've seen over the past five years, from the moment he came down the elevator, in, at, at Trump Plaza, I know that we have seen the, all the rules of the game have been shattered by Donald Trump. In that sense, this, this would-be billionaire, clearly not, according to the New York Times reports on his taxes, um, has, has become the ultimate outsider. But I wasn't surprised by what happened last night. I kind of felt, as always, looking at past debates from decades going back, Joe Biden is a slow burn at the beginning, which played to his advantage, let's be honest. Donald Trump has no on or off switch. He just comes in raging and ranting like a street corner manic street preacher, to be honest. The thing that happened here, though, there were two things that happened. One, Chris Wallace was hopeless as the moderator. He, he went from moderator to nursery school assistant by within minutes, basically begging the president of the United States to stop talking. Mr. President, Mr. wait a minute. Mr. President, your campaign agreed to both sides would get two-minute 
answers uninterrupted. Well, your, your side agreed to it, and why don't you observe what your campaign agreed to as a ground rule, okay, sir? He never keeps his word. Can you add no, back, no, 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 I'm not asking. That was a rhetorical question. Can you Go add ahead, back sir. back 30 seconds? Yeah, because, yes, okay. you may have. All right. Yeah, that, I mean, there were moments when, when it was Chris Wallace essentially saying to Donald Trump, hey, just hold on a minute. You're going to like some of the next. The next I, I know that was the weirdest part. Like, like a nursery school assistant, he both was trying to maintain control and enabling. Now, we all know that Fox News is definitely a, a favorite of the president's and he's a favorite of theirs. But this seemed like Chris Wallace didn't even know what the rules of his own game were. Lots of people have been talking about that we should bring in a rule where moderators have the ability to turn off mics after you know making several threats to that regard. I actually think that's a terrible idea in a democracy at all points. But at this point, it seems like all, all, all the rules are off. The other thing that struck me that I think is hugely important, <clears throat> and here in Hollywood, people from Ava DuVernay and Lena Waithe and many others reacted almost instantly online when Donald Trump refused to condemn white supremacy. In fact, made remarks about the group, the Proud Boys, that seems to have reactivated them to the point where they're literally using his words as their new logo. That's where this went from being a sideshow to a horror show. And that's what I think we're going to be dealing with in the next few days. Are you willing tonight to condemn white supremacists and militia groups sure. and to say that they need to stand down and not add to the violence in a number of these cities, as we saw in Kenosha and as we've seen in Portland. Sure, Are you I'm prepared to, to do specifically that, do it? Well, I, go would ahead, say, I would say almost everything I see is from the left wing, not from the right so wing. So what, what, what are you saying? I'm, I'm willing to do anything. I want to see well, peace. Then do it, sir. Say I'm, it. Do it. Say it. Do you want to call them? What do you want to call them? Give me a name. Give me a white name. Supremacists and who right would you like supremacists. me to condemn? White Proud supremacists boys. and right Stand back and stand by. I, I, I think that there is probably credit due to people within the entertainment community for amplifying that moment of the debate, because this easily could have been uh, people look back on it and say, oh, it was just a mess. And they just kind of dismiss the whole thing. But I thought it was interesting, this instant reaction that you got pe from people in the entertainment community keying in on that moment to the point where Today, this morning, the White House has had to defend that comment, uh, and people up on Capitol Hill have to defend that comment. Um, I mean, it was it was an outrageous comment. Don't get me wrong, but there were a lot of different outrageous comments. Um, well, that's the thing. Didn't you find? I mean, look, we the the early ratings have already come in, and this is clearly down over thirty percent from the first debate between Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump in two thousand sixteen, which ended up being a record breaker with eighty four million viewers in total. What I think has happened here, what we're seeing last night as we, as you and I were tracking the reactions, and now what we're seeing with the, with the early ratings, and I'm sure into the later numbers, America is exhausted by this. You know, if Joe Biden wins this election, and I'll give all credit to the former vice president, because the guy has proven to be the ultimate long distance runner, maybe out outdoing Richard Nixon in terms of political careers that just kept on going. But this is ultimately going to come down to the COVID-19 pandemic, the economic meltdown, and, and, and a social and, uh, uprising and, 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 and a new spotlight on racial injustice, which hopefully will lead to true reforms. But I think all of that is wrapped into the sheer exhaustion that Donald Trump has brought upon this country, as well as embarrassment. Last night was like, you know, people make comments about Donald Trump about being 
like the drunken uncle at Thanksgiving. And they're sort of sometimes amused and sometimes bum-used. But this was like watching someone in a full manic episode. And it was horrific. Horrific. Yeah, you had that Frank Luntz focus group afterward. And one of the participants said, I thought I was listening to a crackhead at, at certain moments. Um, you know, I'm going to play a bit of devil's advocate right here because uh, back in 2016, Hillary Clinton was seen as the one who aced the debates. Uh, and people were like they are right now. They couldn't quite believe the audacity of Donald Trump, how crazy he some, sometimes see, was seen on stage. Yet that ended up hurting Hillary Clinton too. It was almost as if she got dragged down with him, do you think there's a danger the same is gonna to happen to Joe Biden? No, I do not actually. I think, and you and I have discussed this before, I think that what we've seen over the past several months is a pretty sustained and consistent race. Joe Biden remains up six to nine points, depending on what national polls and state polls and battlegrounds you look at, pretty much for the past several months. That hasn't changed. Donald Trump hasn't been able to show a breakthrough. He hasn't been able to go on TV and promise a vaccine that isn't even developed and people pop back to him. His base is his base. Biden, Biden has put together the, the, the Obama coalition and, and galvanized, um, I would say, independent voters. Donald Trump has not been able to get those independent voters off the fence at all. And last night was no way is going to help him on that. This didn't really change anyone's minds, in my opinion. It was a media circus. It was a, a, a national spectacle and disgrace. But ultimately, and we know this with all the voting that's already going on throughout the country in states like Virginia and everywhere else, people have already locked into where they're going. If there's an October surprise coming, and there always could be, and I would say the word Hunter Biden, an indictment, but I'm not sure that the DOJ are willing to go there because those lines fell flat yesterday at the debate, I think that the October surprise is no surprise. This thing is gonna go down to the bloody end, bare knuckles and all, but not a lot is going to shift. If anything, anything, what we might see is one of the candidates find a way to back out of future debates. Because to be honest, do either of them or do America wanna go through another 90 minutes of what we just saw last night? Yeah, I wanna talk about that in a bit. Uh, what, what do you think was Trump's strongest moment? I don't, it's hard to tell what Donald Trump's strongest moment was from last night. And I know that you, you've got a lot of thoughts on this because there was such a cacophony of failures and, 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 and horrors going on throughout the entire thing that overshadowed any, say, Gerald Ford forgetting that the Soviet Union dominated Eastern Europe or Jimmy Carter being so, so downbeat against Ronald Reagan or anything like that, or even Barack Obama's first debate against Mitt Romney, which was kind of a disaster for the, the then incumbent. I think Donald Trump, if he had one decent moment, was he really pushed Joe Biden on the law and order issue, you know, demanding that Biden say, well, who, who supports you? Because I have all the police unions. Who's behind you? Biden yeah. pivoted there. He had nothing to gain, very little to lose, and he just kept weaving a little bit. He doesn't have any Would, law would you, support. Look, he has no law enforcement That's support. not true. Almost that's nothing. Not, but look. Oh, Roy, who do you have? Name one group that supports you. Name one group that came out and supported you. Go look, ahead. Look, think. We have time. We don't have time to do no, anything. No, no. Think so, about right. Name folks, one law enforcement folks. group that came well, out think, and I supported think, gentlemen, you. I've been surprised watching Joe Biden the past several months. Joe Biden knows how to stay in his spot. 
And nobody would thought would have said that about the former vice president a year ago. Um, he has kept his place in the polls and in his stance. And I think he did a pretty good job there. I think another strongish point that Trump had was when he chased Biden about the, the new Green Deal. And Biden kind of weaved that, I'm not really in support of it, though on his website, he's clearly in support of it. But I don't think that landed with anyone. Those are not big issues for people, ultimately. They are not going to be the ones that are defining, oh my God, I'm never voting for that guy or I'm voting for this guy because of that. Otherwise, I think there was a lot of wide swings, not many connects. I, I really thought at the beginning, probably the first 20 minutes of the debate, I thought, oh, wow, we're going into something where Trump is going to just kind of dominate over Joe Biden. And I thought he did, but he didn't know where to stop as tends to happen with Donald Trump. He did, uh, the interruptions, especially when uh, Chris Wallace kept on having to step in, uh, I thought after a while became really annoying. And, uh, and it begged this question, well, why won't you let your opponent speak without you chiming in? Um, well, let me ask you this, because you, know, you, 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 know, you, you are such a, a great student of politics on this, and you, you know, obviously you're such an amazing job covering DC for Deadline. Um, is there any moment in this debate, and this is an unconventional question based on what we saw last night, was there any moment last night where you thought this did become a conventional presidential debate or was it entirely off the rails? I, I thought it was almost entire, the moments that where this became a conventional debate in this work to Biden's advantage is um, it felt like he realized, hey, I started off a little faltering. What I'm gonna do, and I thought this was very smart, is I'm gonna look directly in the camera. That kind of said, okay, I'm gonna ignore what is going on here. Because at the beginning he wasn't ignoring and he he thought he was calling uh, he was calling Trump a clown. clown. Which, yeah. Yeah, kind of stooping to his level and throwing out, you know, you're the worst president in history. But I thought he was effective when he looked straight into the camera. Trump never really did that. And no, Trump seemed to be always kind of like following it was like there was a parrot on chris wallace's shoulder that he was trying to get his eye line on you it's interesting you mentioned that because i think that those moments is when biden became almost he did not seal the deal in my opinion though there were two debates to go he became almost reagan-esque and that in a way is the play here that i think would work and i'm going to draw that back in to talk about our hollywood community as well because obviously president reagan was an alum of the hollywood community i felt that hollywood which had for several election cycles been the second biggest donor to the Democratic Party after Wall Street, but often an immature supporter, in my opinion, in many ways, with demands about topics and issues that, that confirm the worst aspects of the bi-coastal elite uh, label. I felt that Hollywood, watching Hollywood online, and, and shout outs to many, many people, Hollywood was truly engaged with what they saw. Because what we were talking about here was television. This is the reality TV president, and he's playing television. And as television, it was like the worst episode of any sort of like American Ninja Warrior you're ever going to see. But it played out because the drama was, this guy is out of control, out of control. There is no Trump supporter, even Ari Fleischer, who is a paid up member of the Fox News community on Fox News had to admit, after praising Trump for successes he did not achieve, had to admit he needs to dial it down. And Donald Trump cannot do that. 
I would see Donald Trump show up at the next debate speaking French fluently than I would see Donald Trump dialing anything down. I, uh, I think that there was a strong moment for Biden in particular when, uh, when he defended uh, his son, uh, Beau. And then when Trump came in, this was definitely a low point for Trump, was when Trump came in and then started attacking Hunter Biden and Joe Biden then defended Hunter Biden. And he did, it in such, he did it in such a way, you know, it's interesting because we, we talk about Uncle Joe, one of his great strengths is his, his, his superpower is empathy. But he didn't have to play that a lot to, last night because he, he kept on facts and policy. It was a drinking game you know, in some ways about how many times Donald Trump was gonna say Hunter Biden. In fact, it was a double shot when he finally did it. It's like he blew his own line. It was interesting the way though, Biden pivoted it and turned it into, my son is a survivor. My son is a man who met his issues of drug addiction and he has fought against them. And I gotta say, I'm sure the Republicans are gonna come back with more Hunter Biden stuff, but that took a lot of the bite out of it. And I, I'm just wondering, first of all, I think the Hunter Biden line of questioning is a bit of a non sequitur to a lot of people who are probably watching. They're not, they're just not following it. They don't quite understand what that issue is. I mean, it's the same with impeachment. Impeachment is kind of a, a wash in this race. Uh, it's hard to believe that that happened just nine months ago. But um, I, I'm wondering how that played out for people for parents, I mean, just defending their son. I, I, I was reminded of a 2004 presidential, vice presidential debate between John Edwards and Dick Cheney. And there was a moment toward the end of the debate where John Edwards just invoked uh, the name of, of um, uh, Cheney's daughter as a lesbian and wasn't Which critical was her, oh, no, at no. all. But a lot of people thought that that was kind of a cheap shot uh, by- and, and, it gave, and, I would say, and I would say it gave Cheney a real statesman moment because he got to kind of sit there, take off the Darth Vader mask and sort of be like, you're attacking my daughter? You know, it was so, it, it, made, it gave Cheney a human quality that he never has. I, I, I think that there is, I think there's more to be said about Hunter Biden in the debates to come. But I also think, before we go there, there's a lot to be said with the congressman from Hollywood, Mr. Adam Schiff, who is joining us this morning to talk about the debate, to talk about potentially a new stimulus bill, and to talk about where America's going towards the end of 2020. Adam Schiff represents a district that includes a big chunk of the entertainment industry, and he's been working on the next iteration of a COVID-19 relief bill. He's joining us now to talk about that and other topics. Congressman Schiff, thank you for being here. It's my pleasure. Good to see you. First off, your impressions of last night's debate. Uh, you know, horror struck um, by, by many things. Uh, of course, the president's behavior, but on the substance, uh, to hear the president of the United States cast doubt on whether America can have a free and fair election, uh, try to discourage people from voting by mail during a pandemic, uh, encourage his uh, followers to go to polling places, uh, clearly with the intent of intimidating voters, uh, and, uh, uh, and cast doubt on whether he will leave peacefully. Uh, you know, you would think that we were in some uh, developing world democracy, 
uh, instead of what should be the most powerful democracy on the planet. Uh, and then to top it all off, his inability to uh, condemn uh, white supremacists. Uh, in fact, he gave them a new slogan, slogan for their letterhead. Uh, you know, just um, really uh, head shattering, uh, irresponsible, yeah. dangerous, uh, and uh, and I hope destructive of his chances in November because he once again revealed exactly who he is. But Congressman, one thing about this is, and and and. Trump uh, on the South Lawn just a little while ago said he actually doesn't even know who the Proud Boys are and that he what he meant was that law enforcement should do their job. So they're spinning this, hoping that they can find something out of what was a terrible thing. A lot of your constituents, like myself, live in live in Hollywood. Um, big reaction from people like Ava DuVernay, Lena Waithe, many others about what what his refusal to condemn white supremacy. But my question to you, Congressman, were you surprised? Uh, you know, I have the same mixture motions that I've had now for three and a half years of being shocked and not at all surprised. Uh, and you wouldn't think that those two things could go together, but they do so often. Shocked that any president would uh, would fail to condemn that kind of hate, uh, that kind of dangerous hate. Uh, and not surprised because it's completely consistent with his character or lack of character. Um, so, uh, you know, he... he uh, thinks basically uh, anyone who's with them, no matter how reprehensible, um, they're just fine, they get a pass. And uh, that's how he sees the world. Uh, truth matters nothing to him. He's, he's fundamentally an indecent human being. And that really came across. Now, Donald Trump, he also brought up Hunter Biden at several points during the debate. Uh, that was a feature of his defense uh, during the impeachment uh, proceedings. Uh, do, you, do you think those attacks mean anything to the average voter? I think they, they resonate in this way. When Joe Biden defended his son uh, and said that his son had grappled with substance abuse and he had overcome it, I think that's something that all too many American families can identify with and sympathize with. Uh, and to see, you know, that kind of... Uh, bashing um, by the president of someone over their son. Um, I, I think it was just repulsive. And if there was any inkling uh, to um, win over uh, anyone who wasn't already with the president, I don't know what they were thinking because it's, uh, it's hard to, to point to a more alienating moment than that one. You know, one of the things we've seen, Congressman, in, in, in the campaign over the past several months is the point spread has stayed pretty consistent. It's, you know, the former vice president has been up six to about nine, depending on what national poll and, and battle states uh, you look at. Did last night really change anything? I mean, voting is happening in Virginia. Voting is happening all over the country already. Are people just locked and loaded and they know what they're doing? And this is just a sideshow for the most part? You know, I've had the, the sense for some time that the, the numbers were pretty hard baked at this point. Um, I, you know, I, I do think that the Supreme Court situation, you know, the October surprise came in September, uh, had at least the potential of moving those numbers, but it doesn't seem to have done that. Uh, I think to the degree this debate has any impact, it will only further harden opposition to the president. Uh, and because the president is the one who needed to change the trajectory, if it remains the same, he's still in the same deep trouble. Um, but I think you're right. Uh, you know, these are two people well known to the American public. 
Um, and, you know, I think if there were a few undecideds who tuned in last night um, because they still uh, had an open mind, um, I think uh, any that were inclined to, to Trump because they like his, uh, his kind of, uh, um, I don't know what to call it, uh, persona, um, you know, might be further inclined. Um, but uh, but the, anyone sitting on the fence, I think, would be alienated by watching Trump last night. Were you surprised at all that your name did not come up during the debate? You know, I was, I was wondering <laughs> if I might make a cameo in the debate because I am a regular feature of those uh, socially non-distant, non-mask-wearing rallies the president loves to do. And uh, he used his mo some of the most personal ad hominem attacks uh, at one this week. Um, so I was wondering uh, if that would happen. I'm, I'm not uh, disappointed that I didn't come up. Um, but, uh, you know, I, 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 every time it happens, and I was talking to my wife about this, um, watching him at a rally, you know, inventing whole storylines about me and, and criticizing me and whatnot, it's still so surreal. You would think I'd be used to it by now. But, you know, I, I remember turning to my wife and I said, you know, this man is the president of the United States. That, that used to mean something. And, and, uh, and, you know, that he engages in this petty name calling. Uh, I mean, it just, it's still uh, astonishing to me. I want to ask you, uh, move on to the, the COVID-19 relief bill. What do you think are the chances right now of something passes, passing before the recess? Or are we looking to it happening after the election? You know, I, I think it's just uh, irresponsible uh, not to get a package done. But, you know, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make them drink. And we have made compromise uh, after compromise and bringing down the price tag uh, of relief. But we want to make sure that it's meaningful to people. There are millions of people who are unemployed who are not getting unemployment now because Mitch McConnell sat on that bill for months and months. Uh, there are millions of small businesses that are at risk of permanently closing their doors if they don't get new help. Uh, and of course, we've never successfully um, brought this virus down because we haven't done the testing that we need to or the tracing. So there's tremendous resources there. We have a, a big infusion of, of help for renters so they don't get for, uh, uh, evicted and, and homeowners don't get foreclosed upon. Um, so we want it to be meaningful. It has to be meaningful. Uh, but we can't force them uh, to agree. And so I would have thought it would be politically unsustainable for them to go home and say, you know, we're done, we don't care. Um, but, uh, you know, the problem I think is Mitch McConnell, half of his members, more than half of his members don't want to do anything. They think they've done too much already to help the American people. They, they feel, you know, we had $2.2 trillion to give away in tax cuts to really wealthy people and businesses, but, this Democratic Heroes Act of $2.2 trillion to help unemployed and renters and, and teachers and hospitals. No, we don't have the money for that. Um, you know, I, I just don't how you go, know you, how you go to the voters with that kind of a set of priorities, but that's where Mitch McConnell and a majority of Republicans in the Senate and Kevin McCarthy and a majority of Republicans in the House, that's where they are. Uh, Disney, the Walt Disney Company yesterday announced uh, layoffs of, of 28,000 employees. One of the issues uh, is Disneyland. Uh, the company really wants the state to reopen that theme park in some way. What do you, what do you think the state should do? 
I think the state should listen to the scientists and the healthcare experts uh, and figure out what's the best way to defeat this virus. We're seeing very disturbing increases uh, in the viral count in many states now, 22 to 25 states are on a dangerously increasing uh, trajectory. And we're heading into the fall and winter. Uh, if you look back at the last pandemic, uh, America lost 75,000 people during the, the spring and summer, but lost 200,000 in a single month uh, when we got into the colder uh, weather um, parts of the year. So um, we need to be very careful and we need to listen to the experts. Uh, and so um, that's what I think the state needs to do. Uh, I, you know, I'm deeply worried about all the folks uh, that have been laid off uh, at Disney, but it's a perfect illustration of the fact that the economy will not recover until we get the virus under control and we do not yet have the virus under control. Uh, last time around, you helped lead the efforts to make sure that independent contractors and freelancers uh, were uh, eligible for those enhanced unemployment benefits. Uh, the next round also includes mixed income earners, uh, and you helped get that pr provision in there. Why, why is that important to the entertainment business? Uh, so many people in the industry are freelancers and contract workers. They go from job to job, project to project. They don't have a lot of traditional W-2 income. A lot of it is 1099 income. Uh, and as we were putting together the first CARES package, it became apparent to me that millions of folks like that would be left out because traditional unemployment doesn't cover people who are independent contractors or, or freelancers. Uh, so I worked to make sure uh, that in that first CARES Act, we did cover them and we did and millions got unemployment uh, insurance that wouldn't have gotten it otherwise. But we did discover there's a group that has mixed income. They get some small amount of W-2 income, but mostly 1099 income. But because the way states calculate unemployment, they were getting the amount of unemployment compensation based on that little amount of W-2. And for some people, that meant nothing at all. Um, so we, we worked hard. We introduced a new bill to fix that problem. There's a piece of that uh, in this latest HEROES Act that we've introduced uh, to try to provide some uh, equity uh, and help for people that have uh, mixed sources of income. You know, the thing that, that I always think of, Congressman, and I say this partially because as, as part of your constituency, which includes a great part of the entertainment industry, you know, I used to watch shows like Scandal or 24 or even The West Wing, some of my favorite shows. Um, and you'd see these dramas season after season. You'd be like, come on, like, I know you got to keep the story going, but things don't happen like that. There's only ever been, you know, there's that. The Trump administration, honestly, like the, the, the fictional presidents look so lame and tame compared to the madness we're seeing. So I want to ask you one last question. We're going now, we've had the first presidential debate. We may or may not have two more. I think we will, but we may not. Um, we're going into the vice presidential debate next week. And of course, your fellow Californian, our, our, the junior senator from the Golden State, Mala Harris will be up against Mike Pence. Predictions, assertions, expectations. Is this gonna be another slugfest or, I mean, personally, I kind of think the two of them actually might raise the, uh, the bar. Oh, I don't think there's any question it will be a, a very different kind of a debate. Um, well, first of all, you're absolutely right. Uh, I have to imagine in writing rooms everywhere in my district, uh, whether it's comedy or satire or drama, uh, for the last three and a half years, uh, people have been saying, uh, how do we compete with this? Uh, these real life events, uh, you know, would, if we'd written them in, in a script, nobody would buy it. 
Um, but, but in terms of the vice presidential debate, I think it will be much more about policy. Um, you know, I don't think Pence wants to emulate the, the kind of obscene tactics of Donald Trump. Um, he's got his own future that he's worried about uh, being tarnished by his association with Trump already. Uh, and I think Kamala Harris will be impeccably well prepared. Um, so I think this will be a much more uh, fitting debate for our democracy than what we saw at the presidential level. Thank you very much, uh, Congressman, uh, for your time and uh, hope to uh, speak to you again very soon. Well, it's a pleasure. It's great to speak with you both. Uh, really appreciate uh, your work. Uh, we're going to get through this, um, but it really, first and foremost, requires us to, uh, to get the health issue under control. Um, and uh, I was really struck by some of the testimony a week ago that um, if we just wear masks, as we're recommended to do, it might be as effective as a vaccine. Um, and we can do that until there's a vaccine. And so- Con Congressman, I, I have a question for you on that. And, and this, this is something that I, I have encountered um, in my own personal life and clearly in professional life too. We talk about mandates that we talk about, the Vice President Biden has talked about if he was in office, he would try to persuade governors for a national mandate. Governor Newsom is talking, et cetera, et cetera. I see people outside my house all the time without masks, all the time. And, and one of the things that I know a lot of people feel is there's no consequence, you know, um, that if they weren't caught without a mask, they're just gonna be told to put one on. Do you think we should be doing what they've been doing in some European countries and actually basically ticketing and fining people? You know, I don't know the answer to that. And, and it may be that not all areas of the country are in the same position um, where you have widespread transmission, that may be one situation where you, you really don't, uh, that may require a different solution. So I don't know that we would wanna say one size fits all. Um, but the, the bigger problem right now is the, the very mixed messaging we're getting from the president and the national leadership, uh, where the president is really proud to flout uh, wearing masks. And, uh, and you saw, of course, the president's introduction at one of his rallies recently where the organizer apparently asked the crowd to, to wear their masks and was booed. The president has made this a partisan issue and it's killing people. It's killing people. Um, and, and so the first thing we need to do is get the national messaging right and uniform. Uh, I had introduced the bill months ago to create PSAs about wearing masks and, uh, and, and fund research into the best kind of mask to wear. Uh, these are common sense steps that would save lots of lives. Thank you, Congressman Schiff, for joining us. Now we're going to have a look ahead. Next week, we have a town hall with Vice President Joe Biden. It was announced right after the debate. NBC News will be doing it. Lester Holt will be moderating. We also have a vice presidential debate coming up next week on uh, October 7th. Uh, obviously, that will be Kamala Harris and Mike Pence in their first showdown. And we also have uh, the pending confirmation hearings with Amy Coney Barrett, which will be the week after that. Uh, Dominic, uh, anything here that I think is going to kind of really shake things up in the presidential race? I think so. I mean, look, shake things up in this presidential race. I mean, up until up until last sun, up until Sunday, we thought the main topic of the debate was going to be the the death of, of the beloved RBG and the Supreme Court battle. And then the New York Times dropped this story about Trump's taxes and finances and the huge debt load that he's carrying, and that changed everything and and re-energized re uh, the, 
the discussion. What is happening here? This is moving so fast. There's going to be four more scandals before we even get to Biden's October 5th town hall, in my opinion, and at least eight more before we get to Senator Harris versus Mike Pence. All I know is this, is that this has become a traveling sideshow that is, is, is bringing out some of the worst in this country. And I'm hoping, I'm hoping that we will see at one point somebody rise to the occasion of what we've come to expect from a president. Look, as Alice Cooper says in his famous song, Elected, everybody's got problems. I've got problems, you've got problems. And every politician says they're going to solve them. But we are, we are, I think, at this point, looking for something. I think that that's what we're going to see. What I also think we're going to see is the Trump campaign are going to go on a massive, massive rally push. He's got tons of events lined up. And Biden's, uh, they're amping that stuff up. That's happening as we are seeing COVID cases rise yet again across the country. So there's going to have to be a little come to Jesus moment at some point. Interestingly enough, to talk about everything that we saw last night, as we did earlier in this podcast, both Joe Biden and Chris Wallace let Donald Trump get away with a whopper that never got really fact-checked. Whereas when he talked about his uh, rallies and how they've been safe, I was wondering, when is somebody going to bring up the name Herman Cain? Because the former <laughs> I, presidential I, 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 candidate literally went to, a, went, to, went to Donald Trump's rally and died of COVID soon afterwards. So this is a real thing happening out there. I'm hoping that we'll see that discussion become a part of this. But really what I think we're going to see, the Supreme Court is going to dominate things. And this is going to get bloody. And I think, honestly, Senator Harris is going to wipe the floor with Mike Pence, who's a terrible debate. I think the question coming out of this debate, you have a number of people saying, hey, Joe Biden should not debate Donald Trump again. The Biden campaign says that's not going to happen. Of course, he's going to do the two remaining uh, presidential debates, um, uh, which, which I think, you know, it's on the schedule. I, I, I think there's a lot of, I actually think there's a lot of downside for Biden backing out because I, for this reason, he didn't quite seal the deal that he's, he's, you know, he's this, he's not this feeble candidate. Uh, I thought there were points in the debate last night where he showed his age. He wasn't as vigorous as he was maybe 10 years ago. And I think that you know, this, these next two debates are, are an opportunity for self-correction. But I'll tell you, I, I feel for Steve Scully, uh, uh, who's, who, is, who is going to be moderating this town hall debate, which is coming up on October 15th. Uh, you Steve mean the Scully, town hall between tr uh, Trump and Biden, not the between, NBC one? Yeah. yeah, between Trump and Biden. And uh, Scully is, is here in DC, he's the nicest person I mean, that comes across on TV, that comes across um, uh, it, it just uh, in person as well. Um, and C-SPAN is, is so low-key. I mean, C-SPAN is like, very low key. whoa. So, you know, interesting too, I will talk about is, we are seeing happening, happening today and moving forward, this campaign is turning into, in a very untraditional year, and a very untraditional campaign, into a bit of a traditional campaign. Biden is going on a train tour through Ohio and Pennsylvania. Trump is holding a rally in Minnesota your home state. Um, and and that we're, gonna, we're seeing a bit more of that. But I feel like nothing, nothing is on stable footing right now. I, I feel like we're going to see, well, I'll tell you one thing I really feel like we're going to see, honestly, and I'm sure we're going to learn this in the next couple of days. We are going to see boatloads of money showing up in, the, in Democratic coffers, boatloads. I think if anything came out of last night, it was like the death of RBG, a financial re-energization for the Democratic Party. And I think that the money that they need to win this thing, that money is rolling in. Happy days are here again. Final thing, Saturday Night Live, 
They uh, have their season premiere on uh, this Saturday, this coming weekend. They always do the debates as the cold open. Uh, how do you make fun of this one? I think Lauren Michaels walks on, literally says, play the tape, click, and just play it. I mean, <laughs> what else can you do? What else can you do? Or maybe they'll have a surprise guest. Maybe Hillary Clinton will show up. Maybe Sarah Palin will show up. I don't think Donald Trump or Joe Biden are going on Saturday Night Live this week. But I do think this is one of those rare occasions when, like last night, when there was virtually nothing else on TV, everybody from the, the networks to the cablers to everyone were covering the debate. I think Saturday Night Live on Saturday is going to be its own American town hall, at least for that cold open. And that might be where we try to at least find some gallows humor in what was not very funny at all last night. Yeah, it was, it was tough to watch, I'll tell you that much. Anyway, that's all the time we have. Thank you all for joining us on uh, 20, POTUS 2020 Battleground America. I'm Ted Johnson, political editor at Deadline. And I'm Dominic Patton, senior at Deadline. We'll be back every week to talk about politics right up to the election. And if the ballots don't get counted, maybe this limited series might become an anthology, if you know what I mean. You can follow us on, on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon, and all other places you like to get your podcast, as well as listen to us right here at Deadline Hollywood. We'll talk to you next week. And remember, vote. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.